It's Friday the 3rd of November, this is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, more flooding here and the government admits it's time to start planning to move away from flood-prone areas. And an Irish government agency is accused of climate propaganda in the Dublin Declaration. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynne and we're about halfway through season five. And as always, I'm joined by Anna Pringle and Kira Daly. How are you both doing? Very good. I'm okay, thanks, Dara. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm taking refuge from the bad news this week in the hills of Donegal, so that is helping my mood. Lovely. Hiding behind a bush <laughs> <laughs> from the woes of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, great well great to have you both here as always and then as we were saying in the last episode for the rest of the season we're going to be joined by some very special guests so we're going to be joined by people who maybe have talked about climate but that's not necessarily what they're known for and we're really doing this just to kind of normalize climate conversations we know 70% of Irish people are worried about climate change but loads of people never talk about it so let's just um get more and more people talking about it and one special guest at a time and this week I'm delighted to say that the big reveal the big reveal we've been waiting for this for a long time (laughs) no pressure (laughs) we're joined by the first of our special guests uh, Andrea Horan so Andrea you're so so welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock thank you for having me delighted to be here chatting about the end of the world or saving it, <laughs> as the case may be. Or, or both. No saving, no saving. <laughs> Only woe and worries um, what, what do we do? What do we do with the podcast if we manage to, so, if we manage to sort it out? Um, so, Andrea, it, you might know her as the co-founder of Dublin's Funkiest Nail Salon, Tropical Popical. Um, Is that how you know her, Dara? Absolutely not, <laughs> no. I very much know her through Kira um, and the United Ireland podcast. And Andre's also done loads of different activism, including stuff around uh, Repealing the Eighth and the Don't Stop Repealing podcast and also the No More Hotels movement. So, Andrea, you have lots of involvement in different kinds of activism. Can you just tell us, is, is it something that you've always been involved with or is it some or how did you come to it? Absolutely not. And I always kind of get a bit of a rash when I hear people saying (laughs) activism for me, because the way I have ever activated has always been in a way that is enjoyable and fun. And I've always said, especially for repeal, when we set up the Unreal Issues, we said that what we're doing is throwing glitter on an issue without minimizing it. And that has kind of been the my way forward um I was never an activist growing up it wasn't where we were in our family or um or in my background at all so it I suppose everything that I've kind of activated on has been personal so it's been something that affects me so it's very selfish activism if you if you want to say um so things that have affected me have met have made me want to do something to change them and um, that's kind of what's been my driver in those situations. I love that, throwing glitter on uh, issues without minimising not, not very environmentally friendly, though. <laughs> you can get bio, um, bio, <laughs> bio something glitter. That's actually said. Perfect, perfect. So then I suppose, Andrea, with regards to... With regards to climate then, I mean, I always think that my activism when it comes to climate is quite selfish because, you know, I, I 
would like to live in a livable planet. Um, you know, so it's definitely not the selfless thing. Can you talk a bit about your own relationship to to climate change and and maybe climate action and and yeah, just where you sit with that issue? Yeah, I think for me, climate change obviously is something that affects me and I can see the effects of it with the amount of rain we get in the summer raging. Um, so, <laughs> But I have never entered climate change in a technical way, I suppose, um, in the conversations, etc. Where I've been introduced to it, obviously social media, and I give out about social media so much, but the accessibility it gives to different um, issues, etc., has been phenomenal. And I think obviously the rolling back of social media by people like Elon Musk and the things that are being in, implemented by Instagram and Meta, especially in um, around Gaza and stuff, is, shows you how much power these have and how they can be easily controlled. But side note, um, so as I said about my activism, it's always been throwing glitter on an issue. So mine comes from other people, um, people like Irish Rainforest, um, Ona Dalton, who kind of leads with a very nature first solution to climate change. Um, and I found with the best thing about United Ireland um, was that I did it with Una. So subjects that I wouldn't necessarily be drawn to and kind of we she, Una would suggest something for a, a subject for the podcast and I'd be like oh that's a bit boring and I was like I'm not so sure but we'd get into it and kind of discover different elements like I suppose the one thing that sticks in my mind is we did um, a podcast a few years ago about why is Ireland planting the wrong trees and at the time I was like oh god and I, I'm watching the conversation about Sitka Spruce kind of through media and people I know and people sharing it from when I went back to this is so irrelevant um, a few years ago. Not irrelevant, but something that wasn't of interest to me. Um, so United Ireland was really good because it brought me on a journey with a lot of different subjects. And then as my interest was raised in that, then I was able to kind of mobilize my own thoughts into a way that was, that worked for me and that I could communicate in my own way. Um, great. That's, that's amazing. And I, I think, uh, definitely, uh, definitely can see parallels between yours and Kira's journey there for sure. Um, well, United Ireland played a big role in my yeah. part in being in this podcast because, I used to, like, I would never listen to current affairs. <laughs> I just couldn't take them in. I was like, I don't care. And I don't know, I suppose it was an age thing as well. And I remember during lockdown, I would listen to Louise McSherry. She had the slot where she would go through current affairs on the news, on her on her 2FM slot. And I would listen to yours and Una's podcast. And that was the only news I could take in. Um, and it was, A, because... I just was like, I can't listen to everything that's going on in the world because of the situation. But also the delivery. It was just like, it, like I always say, Dara, the reason that I was able to get involved in this podcast is because I was able to have normal conversations with you and ask you no, like normal questions and you deliver it to me in a normal way. And that's what I got from United Ireland. So I need you to bring it back. Thank you. Oh, I would love <laughs> to bring it back. We, we may do. But I think the thing with United Ireland as well is obviously we did it in our own way and that we approached everything in not maybe not 
positively that's the wrong way but we approached everything with a with a, a glitter thrown light heart especially heavier subjects but always tried to come at it with a solution based approach as opposed to yeah. because there's so much it's so easy to just be able to go this is wrong and give out about things but if you're not looking at it in a way of like what can I do to change something that's frustrating me and I think that's why it's so important with climate change is that how, how can I change something rather than just whacking off loads of tweets giving out about it because obviously they're not going to reach anyone anymore with the new algorithm life on Twitter but or x but also just shouting into a void is not enough like mm. it, yeah. like obviously we need awareness and conversations to happen but without the action behind it it it's kind of just you're just making yourself raging yeah, yeah, here, yeah here. absolutely. Although, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes uh, rage is okay, yeah, but sometimes um, getting the rage out as well is uh, is good. Uh, Andre, thanks for that. Really, really looking forward to, to chatting through the week's stories with you now. After that, just before we get into the stories, a reminder that if you want to support the podcast, you can do so on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. Um, all right, Dara, we had Dara. Before you go, we had a lovely comment this week um, that came in to us um, from Tom and Pam, who live in a walled garden in County Carlow. That sounds like a great place to live, mm. and they're growing organic veg and teaching big picture thinking for positive change. And they said they love the breadth of your podcast and wanted to introduce themselves. So, hello, Tom and Pam, and um, we'd love to hear more about what you're up to down there at some point. So, um, thanks for getting in touch. Uh, thanks, Tom and stuff. Pam. Thanks, Tom and Pam. Is right. Um, right. I feel like we're just a bit of Groundhog Day here uh, because two weeks ago we were talking about the flooding in Middleton, County Cork, and our first story again this week is flooding. So we have had a very few wet months, and we have seen in the last week flooding in Newry, Wexford, and Louth, and. Uh, the flooding in Newry heard uh, local residents saying they'd never seen anything like it before. There was uh, there was a bridge partially washed away in Louth and um, and also flooding in Wexford. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know how how your reactions have been to this or if there was anything that stood out to any of you in 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 the coverage of the flooding this week. Uh, well, one thought I had was that if Newry, if it had been Galway or Cork, it would have gotten a lot more coverage. And Newry is an hour away from Dublin and it barely got mentioned compared to Middleton or other places. So just just a word for my northern brethren that we are getting neglected again. Um, but, but that was one thought I had about it, um, which is not directly related to the flooding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it'll also be really interesting to see, you know, it seems like the government here have been really proactive in terms of giving you know, compensation or at least promising compensation to people who have had their businesses and houses flooded. flooded. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the north on that regard and, and what the difference will be in that regard, I think. It's all well and good, I think, offering compensation. But mm. like from working on the front line of services, etc., 
the one of my friends also does the same and he was saying that somebody came in for their breakfast and was nearly crying at the table because and he was asking him what he was going to do for the rest of the day and it's just when you get the human aspect he's like I'm going back to Cork now to try and figure out what I'm going to do with my life because my whole business has been ruined I have yeah. no livelihood anymore and you kind of see the headlines and you're like oh god that's awful that, that's really inconvenient but I suppose an inconvenient truth of it all is that it's 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 having a real human impact on livelihoods, homes, etc. that you just kind of forget about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is, that is the thing that, you know, after the, after the flooding is over, after the event is over, like that trauma, you know, that trauma that stays with people and that ways that people's lives are affected and that that is just, you know, without some major, major, change in the approach that we have to all of this that is just going to become normal you know is this kind of yeah you're going to get really traumatized by something and we'll we'll do what we can for you but we can't do that much and yeah no I totally agree that 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 human aspect and we talked about it last week that you know apparently you know having your having your house or your business flooded like that feeling it's really hard to describe until you experience it apparently it is just so so horrible I want to make a confession so this week I like I read that story and actually it kind of something you said at the start Andrea you were like when um you'd be picking stories for United Ireland and you were kind of like oh this is a bit boring <laughs> I feel a bit bad saying this but I saw this headline and I was like oh, are we really going to discuss this because and I think it comes back to the, the thought of like the, the last few weeks there's just horrific horrific things going on in the world I mean like there's always something horrific going on in the world but it just seems to have just gone like to another degree and I saw this and I was like like what are we really this is a very long way of asking a question but I was like what are we really going to be able to do about the flooding but something you just said there which is quite interesting Dara is unless we change our approach like how do we change our approach to flooding like more umbrellas that yeah, so, like. yeah, yeah, I, that leads really nicely to where we were going, Kira. Thanks for that. Uh, so, <laughs> um, I suppose, first of all, like, you know, is this whole, I was thinking a little bit about this, oh, is this the new normal? It's not the new normal. Things are going to keep getting worse and keep getting worse until we bring emissions down. So, it's not like, oh, this is just something we get used to. Um, in terms of how we actually deal with this uh the minister of housing and the minister of public works published the new coastal change management strategy so this will be more related to coastal flooding and stuff happening as a as a result of sea level rise but i think this is something that i was talking about last week is we know there are places that are going to flood really frequently as sea level rises and as the climate changes so why are we not preparing for that and lo and behold two weeks later um, I'm not taking credit or anything but two weeks later the government come out with this report that is looking at what we need to do and one of the things they mentioned uh, one of the strategies is managed retreat so what they're basically so what they're saying is basically I'll, I'll read some stuff from the report is even with comprehensive monitoring systems and appropriate intervention it's inevitable that we will be faced in some circumstances with the need to coordinate a managed retreat strategy so basically they're saying that in some circumstances some people where they're living just won't be viable in the future 
um, and that this is a really difficult and complex situation, but this is something that we need to um, accept and we need to start making kind of long-term plans to move people away from coastal areas that won't be inhabitable in the future and to do that as early as possible. So to plan for that as soon as possible because it is something that we know is going to happen. God, that's some undertaking. It's very hard to get people to change habits, never mind trying to get them to leave their homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and for me... Like, Does that not make the glass bottle development even more contentious? Can you tell us what, oh, what, what is... The one the in, Dub- in Ring's End? Yeah, I would think yeah. so. Yeah. What's the glass bottle development? It sounds like some sort of concept from, you know, like the glass bottle development shouldn't be happening, but it's an actual site for, that used to be a glass bottle site. Uh, so Andrea, you go ahead oh, now. Okay. Um, it's just down by what should be Ireland's Burgoyne, the old power um, place with the chimneys, our national icon of smoke chimneys. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so I find it so interesting because you have so much conversation about how this retraction is going to have to happen and we're going to have to move. But then you have developers who like have a piece of land that's so valuable that are building. And obviously they've done engineering and they know way more about construction than I do. But it's it's so interesting to me that that is going ahead when all the warnings for that site were going to be this is going to flood. Well, I yeah. mean, it's at, it's at best, it's at sea level. Parts of it are probably even below sea level. And it was the most, if I remember right, Andrea, it was the most expensive land sale ever in Ireland at some point. And they've been sitting on it for a while. I mean, if there was been built in the Netherlands, they'd be probably building stuff on stilts in there um, to go up and down with the, with the floods. Um, so, I, yeah, you're right. It is kind of mind-blowing to think about a big development going in there yeah no i yeah it is it is it is unbelievable that that stuff is going ahead and actually caroline o'doherty who wrote an article for the independent on this reposted on twitter saying uh saying uh lots of people have read the article that i put up yesterday but it seems like some planners and developers still haven't um so it's really interesting andrew it's 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 such a relevant point that like um yeah, it, it kind of goes back to the the thought though that at all costs we will try to make money as yeah. exactly. as as humans, yeah. and there, you've got the warning signs. You and I think when we think about climate change and what we can do and the conversations we can have as normal people, like I try to approach what I do in a in a climate as climate neutral as I can in terms of my business. So I have a service business that doesn't have that much output, that doesn't have that much impact, as, and we try and minimize any impacts we have. Um, and in terms of like being what you can do, I think that is like building that into your everyday. And that comes when you think about, and our, our business ethos is, is the worst in the business world, I suppose, because we're not trying to make as money um, as we can with a constant perpetual growth because what we're trying to do is make a living so we can live and have a nice life without hurting or having as little impact on the world as we can and with, by not hurting other people. So the if that became something that was in business more generally, you would mm-hmm. see, think that maybe these sites are not going to be built on because they're valuable sites, even though they may be flooding and not the best for living on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also, yeah. by the way, the smell of 
shit when you go down there yeah. every time. Can I just say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. I suppose. I, like. I suppose for me. Um, uh, sorry, Dad. <laughs> some. I'm. I'm at home for the weekend today. Dad is using an angle grinder or something downstairs. But anyways, hopefully that's not coming through in the mic. We can't hear it. Great. Um, I suppose for me, one thing, you know, is that this is the first time that there's been a comprehensive government report that has says this thing about managed retreat. So hopefully this is now something that businesses and developers either take into account themselves or are eventually forced to take into account. And the other thing for me is, like, I always, I always get a sense of relief you know, when a government says this, because up until then, it has been totally heads in the sand, we're not going to do anything about it. Whereas now, at least there is a starting point, there is an acknowledgement, this is something we need to we need to tackle and we need to deal with. So I think it will be a while before everything catches up and before, as you say, businesses who are mad for making money um, start taking action. But, you know, if places... But I think fundamentally, you need to make you, especially, no, not you. Uh, I think we need to make climate change commercially viable because if it just feels like you have to what you have to do is actually have a loss or not progress or whatever it's not it's not and it's kind of needs to be remarketed because if you can see the um, potential of making changes around the climate crisis rather than inhibiting how you live or what you do I think that kind of is where the marketing has gone wrong a lot of the time because the the PR around the movement, I suppose, often is seen as kind of extremists, and with mm-hmm. uh, and I like I love just stop oil and what they do, but I can like talking to people who might be a bit more um what's the word not as extreme um it frustrates them so it it's kind of like how do you reposition the climate crisis as well as like you know you're going to live but in a yep. positive way that yeah. kind of feels like an addition to your life rather than don't do this don't eat meat don't yeah, yeah. fly don't blah 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 but what can you do I think but yeah, Andrea yeah. We, had, we had a really good example of that this week actually where um, there was an RTE headline saying Davy puts the climate bill at over 150 billion by 2030 and I was going oh that sounds really negative and I, and I started li- reading and thinking what are they saying the cost of climate change like floods and all that and I realised no it's what it is is that there's going to be an investment of 150 billion between now and 2030 in climate action and energy transition measures. And like, if you put it that way, it's a lot more positive than mm. saying there's a bill, you know, yeah. so, but, but RTE just got the headline completely wrong, you know, so, so to your point, I mean, if you're a business person, you could be looking at that going, okay, that's, you know, that's a big investment. Maybe there are some commercial ways that I could, you know, if I'm installing solar panels or I'm, you know, whatever, um, there are ways that I can actually possibly get some of that and make a living out of it while also doing good for climate yeah. action, but it's not how it's being portrayed. The rise of like uh, B corporation companies yeah. is is kind of making it cool. Do you yeah. know that way? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I get those emails and I always say, I wish I was a B Corp, even though I'm just one small person. <laughs> we should probably move on. We yeah, we should. Just I suppose the last thing I managed to retreat before we go on is actually this week, New Zealand um, have started paying out people um, whose houses are no longer suitable to live in as a result of flooding Mm. and landslides. And they have introduced a scheme this week. So there have been 25 property owners so far who have received confirmation that they'll be getting 
Um, their house bought out by the government, basically, and it's something like 95% of the value of the house if your house is insured and 80% of the value if, you're, if your house isn't. Um, and once again, you know, there's loads of trauma involved in in that move and having to li- yeah. leave where you live, but at least, you know, at least there's a government there who has taken their head out of the sand a little bit and saying, okay, this is something we will actually have to deal with. And it's probably something that's going to get way messier in the future when mm-hmm. um, buildings won't be able to get insured anymore. And that, you know, people like who are living by the coast, it will probably be a case of at some stages, like this is at your own risk, but at least it's good to see the New Zealand government moving in a good direction with that. But like, I feel like governments need to start doing interventions beforehand. And like nature has been a natural intervention for flooding for as long as time has existed. Um, And getting to a point where we're not intervening by building walls and trying to stop water going places. Instead, bringing it further back and kind of at the point of where does the river flow? Do we kind of roll with rivers? That should be a song. Instead of trying to <laughs> might be like actually. hem them in, do you know that way? It's like yeah. nature is stronger and than all of us. So why are we not leaning to more nature led approaches in advance rather than waiting to have to yeah. like pay it after? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of the flooding, a lot of the flooding we've seen in Dublin over the years has been because of development in floodplains further upstream so that when the Talca flooded disastrously, it was because of development in Blanchardstown and Clonee and Mulhudard and that had never given any thought to the fact that they were in floodplains. So mm, you're absolutely they, yeah. right. We have to undo decades of poor development. Yeah. So all all and poor land use management, you know, it's yeah. exactly what Andrew said is having having those nature based solutions and being willing to give over some land. Um you know whose pur- whose the land's purpose being to to be a floodplain and to release water more slowly. And speaking of land, that kind of leads us on to our next story: um, Chagusk under fire um, because of the Dublin Declaration. What's all this about, Anna? Up Dublin. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you mentioned government agencies taking action, Dara, and this is an example of a government agency. So, for those who don't know what Chagusk is, it's our National Agriculture and Food Development Authority. So it's the body that provides research, advisory and training services to the agriculture and food industry and rural communities. Um, So why are they in the news? Um, They were involved in a conference last year and a declaration coming out of the conference that was nifty called the Dublin Declaration. Um, But some work that has been done by The Guardian last week um, looked at what went behind this declaration. So the declaration... Well, what is the declaration, yeah? Yeah, so if what it was, um, was a declaration signed by thousands, a thousand scientists in support of meat production and consumption. So it was a, you know, scientific report saying that uh, livestock is too precious to society to become the victim of reductionism or zealotry and calling for a balanced view of the future of animal agriculture. Um, so... On the face of it, a a scientific report sponsored by Chagas, coming out of a conference that was sponsored by Chagas. But then, you know, the Guardian looked a bit closer at it. So, you know, one of the authors of the declaration, for example, is an economist. And he called veganism an eating disorder requiring psychological treatment. Um, So, yeah, which is, you know, 
insulting so on a lot so many of the levels. scientists involved in this they when they looked at the the declaration itself there was a lot of links to the livestock industry wasn't there absolutely because it yes. was very biased yes, yes and yeah yeah and uh, this this document has now been used to lobby the EU and try to influence European policy and people have said that it's you know it's kind of uh, out of the big tobacco playbook basically that it's just trying to it's it's dredging up old arguments about food and about meat production and just trying to muddy the waters and yep. and make it all a bit a bit more uncertain and a bit more unclear and just try to keep business as usual going for longer. Yeah. But no, The Guardian found that like the Dublin Decla- Declaration, the website is hosted by a meat industry research project. Um, the Global Meat Alliance was pr- promoting it. You know, so you can tell it's not, it's a very much a meat industry innovation. But the challenge with it is Chagas is supposed to be, well, it's a government agency. It's supposed to be um, providing actual science-based research Scientific, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, um, and and yet they have put their name on this. So, for anyone in the audience who maybe isn't so au fait with um, why this is such a farce and such a like joke, why, like, what exactly is what is the impact that eating meat can have on the environment or livestock? So, so yeah, food is about thirty percent of emissions. About so fossil fuels still the biggest problem. Let's not forget that. But food is about thirty percent of emissions just when it comes to climate, um, and meat production is disproportionately creating the biggest amount of emissions for that. So it's something like two thirds of emissions comes from meat. Um, three quarters of the land that is used for agriculture comes from is used for meat production so if you think of how much meat you eat in a day um what a small fraction of your diet that probably is agriculture or animal agriculture has a huge impact and it's just not viable the science is settled on it we need to in western society we need to be reducing meat consumption there's loads of stuff in the ipcc loads of stuff from loads of places on that and this is just I suppose with meat though, you just have to look at like the Amazon being raised back to make way for grazing for animals. Yeah. But more locally, the impact that nitrates have had on the lakes and that has been so visceral yeah. to see because it's a visual um impact. Because a lot of the time yeah. with climate stuff, you're just it's kind of so far, far away. Whereas when you look at the state of the Blessington Lake and the the lake in the north. Loch Ney. Like yeah. Loch Ney, you're like, oh my God. And when you link that back to the fact that this is coming from uh, meat um, agriculture, then it hits home. The yeah. reality kicks but yeah, in. But, the impact. But, all, but also here in Ireland, 37% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture, from the agriculture yeah, but sector. I, yeah, yeah, but I think... And, and, and sorry, Dara... 37% come from agriculture. And when you look at what that is, it's actually from farms and mainly from cows and methane. Yeah. And yeah, I, so yeah but I it's, think it's, it's only if they were so delicious. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Andrea is saying though, like it's it's dead right, is is it's the water quality. It's also we've lost our biodiversity. Um and and 
we also, you know, we don't produce enough food here to grow or feed ourselves. We so we do. Lost. We export it all, <laughs> but we don't. You know, but it's only it's only meat and dairy. We pr- we produce. We import eighty percent, over eighty percent of the food that we eat is is imported. So our good meat is exported. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. But in terms of having a balanced diet in that, you know, we we actually can't we can't feed ourselves at the moment with the way our food system is. And then to come back to what we were saying about the flooding, like we need land for loads of different things. And at the moment, 60% of it is for animal agriculture. So land that could be um, given back to nature to reduce flooding in communities, where is that land going to come from? When we're having to relocate people from coastal communities, where is that land going to come from? So we do need to see that we need land for lots and lots of different things. And at the moment, what we're using it for is totally out of kilter, totally out of balance. And I think But I do think though farming gets a bad rap a lot of the time and that I understand why farmers are upset that of how they've been attacked. But at the end of the day, we've had a, a great history of farming, but it's the 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 industrialization of farming that has really become the issue. And if we actually just look at how we did things rather than just stopping doing things, I think Absolutely. that's, again, bringing it back to source of, of like even having the kind of um, the hedge grows that have been wiped out because they're not valuable. And in terms of how we value the land from a European wide base, but also um, in Ireland, that there is space for all of us, including farming, um, and to not kind of make it the big bad wolf. Oh, abs- absolutely. And, and, like that's and- a, can I come in on this? Because I, uh, so for this, like that's actually such that's a really valid point, Andrea, and something we are very careful to try and not do on this podcast. But it's the what I where I really take issue with this. Dublin Declaration is that it's actually not even helping farmers by doing stuff like that. Like by putting out statements like that, you're completely misleading the public that by, you know, supporting this, that you're supporting farmers because you're not when the reality is that, you know, an average um, income for a, a cattle farmer is nine and a half grand. Like, I can't live off that and they certainly can't. Like I work in the food industry. I know so many people who produce their own really high quality food and then can't afford to go and buy it because it, they just don't make an income from it. And like cattle farmers, beef farmers are involved. Like they are in that segment of people. So it's about how do we actually restructure the way that we farm in Ireland? How do we support our farmers so that they can actually do what they love and make an income from it? And that we have, like Dara was saying, that we can be more reliant on our own food system here in Ireland, where if we are to cut off our imports, that we don't have to go without bananas. I had a banana sandwich for my breakfast this morning. I wouldn't be able <laughs> to do that. We never have bananas we here, Kira, I'm afraid. But uh, I see your point. But I, I totally agree with what you were saying there is that you know it's not farmers that are putting this declaration out there but this but Chagas they have a responsibility to provide good information to farmers to help farmers to make business and life decisions and at the moment they're not doing that at all they're putting money into holding a summit that's putting out this total misinformation and and telling farmers that something that is fine isn't fine and that's a huge huge part of the problem it is as you said Andrea industry big industry misleading farmers um and then farmers getting the brunt of it um yeah yeah but a cha- and chagas isn't serving its 
exactly. base by doing that. Absolutely. They would be much they would be much better served if Chagas was working with them to help them figure out how to cut back the number of dairy cows, how to make a living like like Kira just said. Um and it's you know it's a government agency that's involved in misinformation. So yeah. you know from a from that point of view it should be a big scandal. Yeah. But it yeah, absolutely. Probably won't be. Well, I for one am scandalized. <laughs> <laughs> good, Kira, good. <laughs> Um, Interestingly on that is that despite all of that misinformation, still the EPA has a a new study out that has shown that over 60% of people support reducing the size of the national cattle herd. We often talk about our national herd. Um, So 60% of people, and this is a two-year-old survey, so I would guess it's probably more now. Um, Mm -hmm. So despite all of the farming lobby PR, um, that is, people still think that it does make sense to, to do that. Yeah, It's absolutely. important to note. And yeah. just for anyone who is not aware, there are farmers who are involved, are on our side of the fence. You just have to look at oh, them. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I recommend absolutely. listening back to our, our podcast with Kenneth Keevy from Green Earth Organics, um, who is just doing amazing, amazing work and really gets it. And yeah, yeah, there, there are amazing farmers doing amazing work uh, all over the country. Absolutely. So before we go, um, there's loads of stories we didn't get through today, but can we finish on any actions, anything coming up, any events that people would recommend that our listeners get out to and and get involved with? I have a rake of them. Go on. I was looking up. There's a few nice ones. Um, Our good friend, I'm stretching that statement there, um, Colin O'Regan, author of Climate Warrior, A Hypocrite's Guide to Saving the Planet. A very funny book. He could add that in his next publication. Um, He's uh, taken part in a conversation with Ushin McGann and Sinead Moriarty, two other authors, and they're going to discuss... Many topical themes to today's climate debate contained within their writing. So that's taking place in Dublin somewhere. We'll put the link in the bio anyway. You can find the details there. And then there's another lovely one which I saw, which is um, taking place tonight, Friday, November 3rd at 6.30pm. It's a dinner. I'm always there for a dinner. Uh, Dinner for climate. It's taking place in Cornucopia. So it's there for anyone who wants to come along and just express their emotions over a bit of grub and uh, discuss all things climate crisis. But there won't be any meat. (laughs) <laughs> just to be clear um, sad yeah um, <laughs> and there is also John Barry who as this podcast is going out is hosting a conference for universities and the planetary crisis in Galway has a talk on the 12th of November um, the talk is called the imagination hope and the planetary crisis um, and that is yeah on the 12th on the 12th of November we'll put a link for the event right in that Anything else? And for those of us who have been um, really obsessed by all the news coming from Gaza, which I think is probably all of us, um, we have a link. And if you feel like you want to make your voice heard, well, get along to a demonstration. There's a big one again in Dublin this Saturday. um, But And there have been demonstrations all over the country. But also, if you want to just, you know, send an email, there's a sample email demanding a ceasefire to send to government ministers asking them to put their weight behind that and Absolutely. to be fair I'm, it's rare that I am complimentary of our government very rare but to be fair Michal Martin came out with a very good statement yesterday demanding a ceasefire and the Irish government I think has been maybe the best in Europe on this so um, yeah I agree yeah. So we, but we need them to keep it up and Still to stand firm yeah, yeah low yeah. bar 
Um, great, Andrea. Anything, anything you want to uh, you want to plug or shout out there before we go? Um, on I suppose on the on the Gaza situation, I think what has been done by unions who are asking their staff not to handle arms is very interesting, and to have more That's direct amazing. action in Belgium, yeah, um, happening as opposed to just asking for a ceasefire. What can we actually do to action? Um, an impact on the region in and to kind of stop the madness. Great point. Brilliant. Okay, that is it for this week. Andrea, thanks so much for joining us. I really, yeah, really lovely. enjoyed those chats. It was great. Very high bar set for our future guests. Thank you so on. much for having me at this time of the day and everything. <laughs> so, uh, so we're we're rec- we're recording for our listeners. We're recording this at six a.m. Um, Five a.m. Yeah. After uh, our morning yoga, for people who get up early in the morning, <laughs> me and Leah Veracker. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that's it. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another very special guest. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us if you don't already on Instagram and Facebook at Climate Alarm and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. And you can, if you want to support the work we do, support us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash The Climate Alarm. That's it. Uh, Kira and Anna and Andrea, thanks for being great chatting to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, I, for one, am scandalised. <laughs>